Welcome to the AudioCast at samluz.com. Episode 8, Good Friday, Remember Death. There's a phrase in Latin, momentum mori, which means in English, remember, you must die. Talking about death, understanding death, and living with the knowledge that you will die have fallen on hard times. We live in a culture that idolizes youth and beauty and believes that money is how both prizes can be achieved. The reality is we do much of what we do in America because we're running from death. We struggle with the anxiety and worry in this life because we have expunged death from every aspect of our lives. I go to and perform many funerals a year. There was a season in my life where I attended or performed a funeral nearly once a week. The thing that always struck me was there's no kids at funerals. There's very few teenage and college age kids at funerals. Most people don't go to their first funeral till later on in life. This detachment and stigmatization of death have created a culture of, that fears death more than anything else. This culture of positive confession and beautiful people has even infiltrated the church. This detachment and paralytic fear of death that most Christians have puts us out of touch with most of the critical and far-reaching themes of the Bible. These themes of salvation and forgiveness, of sin and death and victory and suffering. If you've been to an older church, you had to walk through tombstones to come to celebrate the Lord's Day. Preachers used to have a skull that they would place on their desk as a reminder that they were dying and that the people to whom they were preaching were dying as well. And if you want to reach these dying people, you need to think a lot about death, not by coming up with positive messages and trying to avoid it. Every funeral I perform, I read this text from Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 4, and it's so convicting for me personally. It says this, A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume, and the day that you're going to die is better than the day that you were born. It's better to spend time in funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies. So the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. Funerals serve a purpose in this life. They're, as the psalmist says in Psalms 90, they cause us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. A wise person does exactly that. They think a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about, about having a good time now. The reason this is so foolish is because we have it all backwards. We don't think about heaven because our hope is in heaven. It isn't in, it's, it's more in what we can gain and acquire. We don't long for heaven with the homesickness that we should because we're so focused on making this life our best life. We have bought into a lie that aspects of evangelicalism has been selling the world. If you believe God enough, if you follow him, you'll have everything this world has to offer. We want our dreams to be fulfilled more than we want heaven because our hearts want happiness. And we think that things, we think people, and we think stuff will give us that. The sad reality is that the gospel in our time has been obscured, obscured by the outright fear of death and the idolatry of wealth. What makes this doctrine so pernicious and sinful is we have exported it to the world. I was talking with a friend of mine who works with refugees in Nepal. He told me that in Nepal, people have grabbed a hold of this idea that our happiness is a direct result of the amount of faith that we have. If we believe God enough, we will, we will not have sickness, sorrow, or death. This is, the Amer- this is what the American church has exported to the world, a world dying for the hope that only the gospel can bring. They need hope, and we fill them with false promises for things that don't matter. Matt McAuliffe said this, Before you long for a life that is imperishable, you must accept that you are perishing along with everything and everyone you care about. You must recognize that anything you might accomplish or acquire in this world is already fading away. 
Only then will you crave the unfading glory of Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished and acquired for you. And you will need to recognize that you are going to lose everything that you love in this world before you will have hope in an inheritance kept in heaven for you. Recently, a church made news for in its week-long exhibition of trying to raise a young girl who died tragically at too young of an age. What the church didn't realize is their denial of death didn't make Jesus beautiful to a watching world. Our next-door neighbors, who are without hope, rightly fear death. When the church says that they believe in God, a God who conquered death, but then lives like death must be avoided, our neighbors find nothing in that message that can give them hope. Matt McAuliffe, in his excellent book, Remembering Death, says this about the prosperity gospel this church propagates. The prosperity gospel holds to this illusion of control until the very end. If a believer gets sick and dies, shame compounds the grief. Those who are loved and lost are just that. There are those who have lost the test of faith. There is no graceful death in prosperity teaching. There are only jarring disappointments after fevered attempts to deny its inevitability. I know this to be true because I was on the receiving end of that jarring disappointment that, den- that denying death inevitably brings. The jarring disappointment I felt so often leads people in their anger to walk away from God and walk away from the church. Still, for me, by God's grace, it opened my eyes to see the beauty of the gospel. We cannot see and appreciate the beauty of Easter until we understand the power of Good Friday. Walter Reagan said this, If the gospel seems irrelevant to our daily lives, that is our fault, not the gospels. For if death is not an everyday reality, then Christ's triumph over death is neither daily nor real. Worship and proclamation and even faith itself take on a dreamlike, unreal air, and Jesus is reduced to something like long-term insurance policy that is filed and forgotten. Whereas he can be our necessary ally and immediate continuing friend, the holy destroyer of death and the devil, my own beautiful savior, by avoiding the truth of death, we're avoiding these truths about Jesus. Jesus didn't promise us so many things we want most out of life. He promised us victory over death. When we are honest about death, we see the beauty and the necessity of the cross. Growing up, I couldn't reconcile how Christians called the day that Jesus died Good Friday. The reason I couldn't reconcile it is I saw Good Friday as the death of Christ, not the death of death in the death of Christ. Good Friday is an annual reminder that Jesus died to conquer death. The promise Jesus made is that he conquered death. Death no longer has the final say. Honesty about death will lead you to grief, but not grief about the end of our life, but rather a grief that death is not only a reality, but an inevitability. There's something within each of us that recognizes that we were made for immortality. When we experience the jarring nature of death, it should not surprise us or overwhelm us, but it should create in us a longing and a hope. My favorite poet says this about death. He says that where death had before been an executioner, now because of Christ, death has become a gardener. Death can only plant me into everlasting life, he says. How true is that? The power that death has does not end our life, but plants us into everlasting life. We fear death when we love things that are daily dying rather than Christ who conquered death and promises us hope that can only be experienced through the immortality the gospel provides. This is why Good Friday is so important. It forces us to confront death so we can fully embrace Christ. I leave you with this powerful quote from Matthew McAuliffe. Honesty about death leads to grief and grief over what's true about this world leads to hopeful longing for the world to come. 
But there's another way in which our heightened feeling for death's sting clarifies our hope for redemption and resurrection. It helps us to see that any hope we have rests completely on a Savior who died and rose again. No other hope will do. The Heidelberg Catechism opens with a clear and profound question. What is our only comfort in life and death? I love this question for the assumption underneath it. Any comfort in life must also produce comfort in death. If an object of our hope can't stand up to death's onslaught, it can't offer true hope in this life either. There are many things in which we hope throughout our lives. Things we look to for meaning and purpose. Things we accomplish or acquire. Pleasures we can enjoy. People that we can love. We trust these things to deliver. We hope that they will endure. And one by one, death topples them all. When you live with honest grief over what death does to life, you recognize that you cannot afford to settle for vague platitudes, for some abstract feel-good hope that things will someday work out. Resurrection as an idea or as an aspiration is empty and unsatisfying. For us to know true hope, we need something that we can lock onto. We need a living, breathing, resurrected person. We don't need an ideal. We need a savior. I believe this need for a concrete personal hope in the face of death explains why Jesus orchestrated the Lazarus event the way he did. He knew that his friends needed to see and that we needed to see too. All I can say to this is amen. We need a savior. Momento mori. <laughs>